Hi, I'm Anita Kemp, Case Manager at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. Annalene, it's my understanding from your title that you want to talk about the role of kindness in risk management today. Is that correct? Yeah, it absolutely is, Anita. And before you turn off, I'm going to ask you just to keep listening for a moment because I want to demonstrate that our most human of reactions, being kind, is not just a value in a social context, but is also the simplest and purest form of risk management. That's an interesting statement, Annalene, and I'm sure would be reassuring to some, as it does seem strange that we imbue our children with the value of always treat others as you wish to be treated, or that kindness counts. But then we really see kindness in our day-to-day life, assisting members with their complaints and adverse outcomes. In the environment in which we work, kindness is usually pretty thin on the ground. Yeah, agreed. Often we find ourselves reviewing claim after claim where not a trace of kindness can be found. So Anita, is it that we should be kind unless we're being treated at a dental practice? Or is it something else? And conversely, are we always kind to our patients? Should we be? And critically, are we kind to each other within our teams or just too tired, too jaded and too COVID exhausted to care? Research tells us that team-targeted rudeness is an underpinning factor in many adverse outcomes, and if we accept that to be true, then surely, conversely, we need to accept that kindness does count in a broad variety of ways, some more obvious than others. I'm guessing that the list is not exhaustive. No, it's not, but it seemed to be reasonable to make some broad divisions for people to consider, because you need to understand that the old adage of people don't sue their friends actually holds true. Studies have overwhelmingly demonstrated that patients are reluctant to sue healthcare practitioners who they like. Now, that's not to say it can never happen, but the research shows us that patients are far less likely to complain about practitioners they like and, critically, who they think like them. This report is built on a relationship of mutual respect and trust. A deep dive into the basis of legal claims often uncovers a disconnect between the patient and the practitioner. Yeah. Some people never really hit it off, experiencing a pervasive sense of awkwardness throughout every interaction. Yeah, that's right. Whereas others seem to have a seemingly solid series of interactions right up until the moment where the treatment does not go to plan. At that moment in time, just when the patient needs the support and reassurance of their practitioner the most, we do find the practitioner can turn their back and withdraw their support, leaving the patient frightened and confused. Now, for many patients, as you know, Anita, this confusion quickly turns to anger and resentment. The reason for this perceived rejection or dismissal by the practitioner is as simple as fear and distress about the situation, but it occurs when the patient most needs their support. Distress about what just happened, and let us not forget the first rule of medical ethics is first do no harm. So the second victim In any adverse outcome, the practitioner is a real and genuine concept and there can be genuine fear about the consequences of the adverse outcome to them and their registration and also of the patient reaction alike. 
Of course. And I mean, both experience and studies tell us that remaining connected to a patient who has suffered an adverse outcome under your care significantly decreases the likelihood that they're going to move forward and make a formal complaint about you. Yeah, that's right. And truly an example of where being kind, which is, of course, the instinctual response of most healthcare providers, is the best course of action. Many practitioners, however, are limbically hijacked into placing a defensive barrier between themselves and their patient or convinced by others that now is definitely not the time to be kind. And therefore, it's far better that they override their most human of instincts. Please rest assured, it's not. We call this honesty and compassion with patients' open disclosure. And in the concept of today's or in the context of today's podcast, it's our first pillar of kindness. It's my understanding that you wanted to outline four pillars of kindness today to prop up our practice. Yeah, that's what I thought. And next up is civility. As in being polite. Yeah, simply put, Anita, yeah. There's strong evidence that rudeness and incivility between healthcare workers and each other impacts negatively on patient safety. This occurs because being rude or uncivil leads to an increase in error rates uh, and to emotional exhaustion and depersonalization, which, as you may be aware, are two of the three factors of burnout. This then flows on to affect our cognition and decision making. If you think about it, Annalene, this makes sense because how can you think clearly and confidently if you don't feel safe in your environment because you're awaiting a rebuttal, mockery? criticism or blame. Yeah, absolutely. So conversely, the Civility Saves Lives campaign, which seeks to promote positive behaviours in healthcare and share the evidence that supports why civility is so critical in patient safety, showcases many studies that demonstrate the opposite to be true. That being that being civil increases the feeling of practitioner safety and confidence at work and reduces the likelihood of burnout and the associated error rates, making it safer for all our patients. So simply put, saying please and thank you decreases the likelihood of patient error occurring because the team is more functional, higher performing and more confident to be open with each other, decreasing the likelihood of preventable error. Do you think we can be rude to our patients sometimes too? Yeah, usually immediately after they've been rude to us. Um, the problem is, though, that healthcare professionals, we don't have the luxury of reacting that way. We're always expected to be the bigger person in the room. And of course, we can provide you with some guidance on how to manage a rude patient if it arises within your practice. When something goes wrong in our treatment or in our communication, it's always best to apologise, isn't it, Annalene? Although I know some people worry about this. Yeah, they do and they really shouldn't. Um, one of the most human reactions when we make a mistake or harm another person is to say sorry. This is a simple expression of regret and it can vary from an utterance when you bump into someone at the supermarket to the formal televised and in the case of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard scripted, uh, quite memorable that one, wasn't it, Anita? Uh, apology. Um, regretfully, at some point in time, this most human of reactions to distress caused to others has been cast in some arenas to be an admission of liability. Now, this precedence is both dangerous and unnecessary in Australian healthcare. Firstly, with some minor state and territory-based variances, fear of apologising is unnecessary as an apology is protected by law. This means that an apology given to a patient after something goes wrong during their care is not considered to be an admission of liability and as such cannot be used against you in a court of law. Does our regulator have any comment on that, Annalene? Yeah, certain professional behaviours are expected by our regulator when something goes wrong, with the Code of Conduct advising us that when a person is harmed by healthcare, adverse events, 
Practitioners have a responsibility to be open and honest in communication with the patient to review what's happened and report appropriately. Now, this really ought to include an apology as, they go on to say, patients expect an apology from their doctors after having been harmed by an error. Apologies convey a sense of respect, mutual suffering and responsibility. And I'll put the link to that in the speaker notes, Adita. It isn't just about expectation, though, is it, Annalyn? No, it isn't. This one's really interesting, as the research demonstrates that apologies are actually protective for the well-being of the person receiving the apology with a measurable impact on their blood pressure, heart rate and breathing. But perhaps more surprisingly, the research also demonstrates apologising is beneficial to the mental and emotional well-being of the person giving the apology as well. So that's three cornerstones or pillars of kindness, civility, open communication and apology. I believe we need one more keystone so that our building doesn't topple over. Yeah, we do. And I believe this to be humility. How would you define that? Well, simply put, Anita, humility is the antithesis of arrogance. Now, humility is not necessarily a characteristic demonstrated by many healthcare providers. Um, while the rhetoric may suggest this can be factored back to a strongly type A-centred personality, a far simpler view is probably a more meaningful one in this case. In order to gain patient trust, practitioners project confidence, and rightly so, as modesty could quite easily be misconstrued as a lack of training or knowledge. So confidence is a must, with humility becoming more relevant of a factor in two specific circumstances. The first is when a health provider knows in their heart that they are uncertain about the treatment they're about to embark on, and the second is after an adverse event. Critically, Practitioners need to recognise the edge of their envelope or capability to know when it's appropriate to seek guidance or support from a peer. This simple step serves to increase both patient confidence and the patient's safety, so I can certainly see how humility can lead to safer practice. Yes, indeed. Humility is also an essential mindset in the event of an adverse outcome. While professionalism and the facilitation of the continuity of care for the patient is critical, big noting yourself and your skills and downplaying your contribution for the failure of care, perhaps even blaming others or even the patient themselves, is the first stop on a short trip to a complaint. So you're suggesting that civility within your interactions with your team, transparency and communication with your patients, particularly after an adverse event, Apology and humility could be the new foundations to success. Yeah, I am. Or in even more basic terms, perhaps if we simply relied on our humanity and ethics, brushing away defensive practices and going with our gut and expressing human empathetic reactions, choosing kindness over self-concern, we could achieve the same outcome and the same success. Critically, Anita, kindness counts. And the simple step of being kind to a patient in adversity will help you both to heal. It's really great to know, as I think we've all experienced situations where we worry we've said too much or given too much away when talking to a patient. Yeah, I agree, Anita. I think we have all felt this way. And please rest assured that we at Dental Protection are here to help you with these tricky discussions with patients. But I really want those listening to rest assured that if your first reaction is a moral, ethical and profoundly kind one, please don't worry, you've not gone off track. That's really reassuring, Annalyn. Thank you. And thank you for listening. And we do hope that the podcast was helpful to you and look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like Dental Protection's podcast and would like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.